My name's Jana and I'm a trainee psychological wellbeing practitioner. I read the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I found it really interesting about all the different stories um, and how people got to become a clinical psychologist. It just amazed me how many different routes there are to get there and there's no perfect way to become one. And this kind of filled me with confidence that no, I'm not doing it wrong and put less pressure on myself. So if you're feeling a bit uneasy about becoming a clinical psychologist, I definitely recommend this just to put um, yourself at ease and everything will, will be okay. But trust me, you will not put the book down once you start. Coming up in today's episode, I am joined by Dr. Mari Kovanen, who is a counselling psychologist. We are discussing her route to becoming qualified, as well as her background being Finnish. We also talk about the unique quandary of trying to date when you are a psychologist and a mental health professional. Hope you find this so useful. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast with Dr. Marianne Jurens. Hi, welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. I am Dr. Marianne Trent and I am a qualified clinical psychologist. Now, in order to become a clinical psychologist, I had to go through the rigmarole and sometimes what felt like the personal exquisite torture of going through the clearinghouse system to apply by filling in a form. If this is your reality right now, or if you're filling in forensic psychology forms or perhaps educational psychology forms, and you would welcome some additional support, please check out my replay Q&A sessions, which are called compassionate Q&As because they're so nurturing um, and gentle and helpful, uh, which you can find by going to my YouTube channel, Dr. Marianne Trent. If you'd like a little bit more, looking for the next level, looking for the next work with me then do please consider coming on board to the aspiring psychologist membership where the members say really great things about how helpful our work is and what we offer in helping them with their goals i love that some of the connections we will make along the way are useful for us as part of our process but also for the things we learn along the way too. It's my absolute pleasure to meet somebody today for the podcast who I've known about socially on social media for the last few years, but today is the first time we have met. I'm so excited to introduce you to her. I hope that you'll get a lot of useful information from it. It's another one where you might learn uh, a lot about culture, specifically Finnish culture, um, but also about a different psychology discipline. Um, in fact, two different psychology disciplines that don't get so much airtime in this podcast. 
I hope you'll find it really interesting and you might also learn some tips for how to date successfully too. Hope you find it useful. I look forward to catching you on the other side. Hi, just want to welcome our guest for today, Dr. Mari Kovanen. Hi, Mari. Hi, lovely to be here and, and thank you, Marianne, for inviting me. Oh, well, thank you for saying yes. So um, we have been in each other's world for quite a few years now. Yeah. This is the first time we've ever spoken to face to face, which is exciting. Um, so we are both part of a psychology network um, and you are, I'm right in saying, a qualified counselling psychologist. Yes. Lovely. And also from our chats in setting up this podcast, I understand you've done some occupational psychology as well. Yes, that was in my past, yeah. Is that something that still informs your practice now? Um, well, I suppose when therapy clients come to me often, um, they are obviously work-related situations, so it's quite a good background to know and talk to people about their uh, situations. But it's um, I realised when I worked, I, I did selection, recruitment and it didn't hit those spots that I really wanted I wanted much deeper connection and being able to help people really on a much deeper level so um, yeah I moved on from that but um, I guess you know whatever you ever learn you will never forget so in some ways oh I love that I've never I've never heard that (laughs) phrase before I really like that but um it isn't actually something we've spoken about in the podcast so far for those that are listening that might not know what it involves could you briefly guide us through what occupational psychology is okay so um it is really everything to do with human and work so it is really starts from something even basics like, um, you know, thinking about usability of things, you know, how, I don't know, I've got this microphone in front of me and how usable is it for um, for me, for example, how it works. So, you know, it, it's, it covers so many things. And then going into work well-being, organisational changes and, you know, leading that kind of changes. And so it covers so many from the individual level, really, to bigger kind of more social sort of organisational um, things. And uh, yes, and so I, I, did, um, I did selection. I did career counselling, coaching. This was a bit, so originally I'm from Finland. And then um, we spoke a little bit before this that um, I started my training here and then I moved to Finland and I moved to um, work in a, in a job centre in Finland and all the job centres in Finland got um, psychologists in them who are helping people with their careers and career changes or finding your first career and, and so on. This was even set up like after the war because they wanted really, um, I guess, make best use of, of the workforce. And, uh, and yeah, and there I was doing um, selection, but also helping people with their careers and thinking about careers and all of that kind of stuff. So there are so many different, really, areas to occupational psychology. And if anyone is really interested in, you know, whether it's work well-being or all of these kind of things, it's, it's a really good option. Thank you. And 
I just love learning about mm. things and learning about people. And I did not know that about Finland, that they've got psychologists in their job offices. That yeah. sounds like such, well, it makes sense, doesn't it? But mm. it sounds like such a great mm. idea. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. But so you're a counselling psychologist, um, a chartered one as well, mm -hmm. um, which uh, for those who are listening means that you um, are registered with the British Psychological Society. But of course, what we know about counselling psychologists is that it's a protected title. So you'll also need mm -hmm. to be registered with the HCPC too. Yes, yes, absolutely. Lovely. Thank you very much for that. Whilst we're discussing the HCPC, I don't know if you find this as well, but when they take their subs out from me, I think it's a few times a year, mm. they seem to just take it, but they do not send me an invoice. They do not send me a receipt. And I'm like, how am I going to square that with my um, accountant? Like, <laughs> where do I go with that? Yeah, no, it's it's like a bit of a secret society in some ways. And you hear maybe a couple emails come once in a blue moon, but there's not much communication with them. And I think that's why I've stayed with the BPS is because um, I guess I felt, well, well, I'll tell you what, when I was in Finland for that about five year period or so, um, uh, the, the Finnish equivalent, that society, the psychological society became really like a, a place, you know, it's almost like a family. Um, I lived in a small place and they uh, was invited to go to their meetings and then I became part active part of them. And also when I was then trying to get my qualifications kind of transferred over and what have you, and I was even in you know contact with the president and all of that, and, and he was helping me. So it became such a community and I felt like, you know, this is like exactly what you need in your life professionally. Now, obviously, the BPS is not quite the same you know, much bigger organization and, and so on. But I felt that I needed to belong somewhere because otherwise, you know, especially now working in private practice, not part of a bigger organization. And the HCPC is just somewhere there really far, you know, um, in the background. And it feels like there's no connection to that at all. And um, and that's why I really, you know, to be honest, I wanted to stay with the BPS because I thought that, well, at least there's someone who will recognise that my qualifications and who, you know, if something happened, hopefully I could turn to them for advice. Yeah, I agree. HCPC take the money. And if there's any problems with our professional registration or someone complains about anything we're doing or or some of our colleagues are doing, then they're there for that regard. Mm. Um, but there's not much going on other than that and so it's yeah. yeah I think it's especially when you're in private practice it's about feeling like you're part of a club or something mm. you know there's other people that get you and that's what I really like about our qualified group as well um, but also I know that uh, people listening to this will really value that support from from their peers as, as aspiring psychologists as well it's about finding your tribe isn't it and feeling yeah. not so vulnerable in any of the positions we're in Absolutely, absolutely. It's really important. And that's why the the psychology network, the, the online network has been so important. Because over the years, I mean, you've probably been there more or less from the beginning of, of a certain web um, Facebook group being being there. And um, it's just, um, 
you want to know that there's someone who you can go to and ask. I mean, yes, you've got your supervisors, but it's not the same. You don't get the same instant, you know, response. Whereas if you post a question, whatever it is, you'll get you're likely to get some sort of answer within minutes almost. And um, and different perspectives as well, because, of course, in the supervisory role, it's, you know, it's just one person potentially. Um, and there might be different views from and, and different knowledge, obviously, that uh, different people share. So, mm. yeah, it's really important. Yeah. And I think we were just talking because we, we've got um, similar professional um, clinical interests in kind of trauma and stuff. And we were just thinking together about the, I guess, the impact of vicarious trauma, mm. weren't we, um, on 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 us as individuals, yeah. on us as parents, on us as partners, on us as friends. And, um, and you know, we're recording this um, at, at the time where there's been some horrendous atrocities in Israel over the weekend. Mm. Um, and it's really a very moving time um, for, for so many people, either because of their friends and family connections or just mm. because of the things they've been witnessing. And we were talking about yeah, how we kind of draw limits around our incredibly empathic hearts, really, mm. um, so that we don't burn out. What? How do you do that for yourself? Well, I, I think this has become even more and more important. I think um, over in that in my career, uh, like I was mentioned early on, that I've entered a phase in life where I have small kids. I had them quite late, but also I'm in perimenopause, which I know now that hormonal changes will impact also. I mean, I have been a highly sensitive person in the past, but on top of that is the hormonal changes, I think, just more kind of feel things. So I've had to draw limits to the amount of information I I consume, The you know, whereas maybe before I would watch the news a lot, but I've had to really limit it and knowing where to go and really limiting the number of clients you can see. Because when you're talking about trauma, you just can't be doing it, you know, to I don't know how many, you know, like six, six clients a day or something like that. I mean, I think at the minute, my ideal number probably would be like two clients a day or something like that. You know, because if I see four clients even in the day, I notice in the evening that I'm super tired. And then it's a lot more difficult to be with the family even. And they kind of whatever the kids, you know, squabbles and so on. Yeah, it's the limits are really important, but also looking after myself in other ways in, in really lifestyle. It has to sort of support everything. And it's much more important that in in my early 30s I would have ever imagined um and um yeah and I suppose it's years of really doing just mostly trauma work it's 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 tough going so really need to yeah have those boundaries and and look after myself and it's not always (laughs) my therapists often are not the 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 people who remember to look after themselves first so it needs to be like you need to be kind of drumming into your own head that you know I need to look after me first so that then I can do this work and and be of service to other people 
Absolutely. I think it's really tricky, isn't it? Because you and I are obviously a sort of established stage of our career and we're both working independently. And so we kind of can design our days Mm. around ourselves and to make sure we're not going to burn out, you know, either in terms of empathy or in terms of our mental health. But for many of our listeners, you know, they are in really high paced you know, understaffed, oversubscribed mm. services where they are having to do many, many sessions a day and possibly not all massively traumatic. But I still, you know, remember when I was in the NHS, I was having to see um, all forward slash choosing to see in terms of mm. my job, five clients a day um, mm. in a, what is it, seven and a half hour day, including a lunch break. That's, it is a lot. And I know people listening to this will be feeling really strung out you know and really overstretched it's such a tricky job that we do Mm, mm. and I I think we don't always or it's not appreciated what a difficult you're taking someone else you are living someone else's pain for that time and your nervous system you're helping them to regulate so you're not just there as as a kind of like almost like detached person at least you know I feel that my clients probably get a lot more focus time for me for much longer time than any of any anyone else in my life because there's always other distractions and what have you but when I'm with the client I'm super focused and I also do have a bit of an ADHD brain so I need to be focused and that's why like and I can be in that space because there is nothing else apart from me and the client but it's yeah it's it can be really it can become draining and um yeah it's really important to look after oneself and you're so right you know the idea that I would even spend 50 minutes of focused attention on (laughs) one of my children or my husband you know they would be like what's going going on Um, it's hard it's really hard and I, I do try to build in five minutes at the end of the day to Mm. have focused time with each one of my Mm. two children Um, but it is hard when you are at the end of a busy day and perhaps our window of tolerance is more squeezed and you're just like ready to race to the finish line so you could just sit and not be needed by anyone it's it's a tricky balance absolutely absolutely yeah exactly I do the same the bedtime is in some ways my favorite time as long as everyone's quiet and in bed and then we can have a you know I read to my younger one and then my older one I usually go and and he wants me to be with him whilst he reads so I read my own book next to him but it's like we are together but there's something about the kind of bodily you know regulation and we are um being instead of just doing together um and obviously trying to catch up moments and and kind of few minutes of sort of one-to-one attention throughout the or during the day maybe in the morning or or in the evening but um yeah otherwise it's you know with with the client it's that time they are with you it's so focused thank you I love that idea so we've got children that are a similar age and Mm. we've recently switched to sort of doing stories with the younger one and then giving the older one a slightly later bedtime but still quiet time in his room um but I love the idea of actually just snuggling down and reading together Mm. in sort of companionable silence um I might well see if I can introduce that so we do try and have sort of protected time where we'll chat about the favorite part and least favorite Mm. parts of our days but I love I love reading actually so I yeah I do usually just do that before I go to sleep but Mm. 
yeah, I like that idea. So thank you. That will that will percolate through my brain and hopefully trickle through to my practice as well with my children. Practice. <laughs> it, you know, it feels like practice some other time, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, it's, thank you. It, it, yeah, it's, it's uh, I mean, he initiated and he's been asking for it and then it, we're going through different phases. But I think there is something about just that one-on-one time because they don't get that much time whilst they're in school and and so on so it's the evening and I suppose preparation for the the separation when you're asleep and and so on and just kind of being there together but being together doesn't always mean that you're communicating through um you know with your words it can mean just existing and being and your body is touching even Mm, thank you and as you spoke I was wondering about Finnish culture really I really don't know anything at all apart from Finland um apart from I went to university with someone who was Finnish and had a very very marvelous feather coat um <laughs> because he told me it was he told me it was very very cold in Finland but other than that I think I don't know anything would you be able to guide us through just a little tiny potted history about what it means to you to be Finnish okay well I guess the first thing that comes to my mind is the nature the connecting with nature in in a completely different way if you live in the country now and you know that might be your life kind of thing but it's basically the the country of thousands of lakes like so many and the nature is literally on your doorstep and whilst British people talk a lot about the weather and so on, but I think in Finland you pay even more attention to the changes in the nature. And um, and so obviously four seasons, you get proper, proper winters. Um, the spring and the summer, it varies, can be a little bit like here, sometimes it's hot, sometimes it's not, so, you know, varies, and autumn, obviously. Um, and then I guess one thing that is about the, the sun, that in the, in the winter, there's less sun. And then in the summer, there's so much sun that the, you know, that just, um, yeah, you you go to bed. Or, or even at, well, say two o'clock in the morning, it's like at daytime. So um, it's, you know, the nature is amazing. In terms of the culture, I think the culture has been reflected a lot on this and, and coming coming away is easier to reflect when you are in the culture um the the second world war definitely and the kind of war times and we were at one point we were part of russia and then we were part of sweden and then the russia tried to take over you know and there was you know all of that sort of you know many 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 we've been independent now for 100 and whatever you know um over 100 years um that, so all of that, I think there is a lot of trauma that our, for example, my generation, my my parents and obviously grandparents went through the, you know, the, my, my um, hometown was the, uh, what do you call it, headquarters for the army. So um, during the Second World War. So there's a lot of stories that I heard as a kid about, you know, all sorts of things going on. So I think there was a lot of that and that has in the culture has definitely left scars. And now it's nice to see that the younger generation, you know, because it obviously takes a few generations to kind of come out. 
hopefully, you know, the ones who are in their twenties, and at least we've had, you know, old pairs and young women and what have you, and and I think they did seem to have a different energy. Probably when you're twenty, anyway, you've got different energy to to when you're forties. But uh, so there's been a lot of that historical kind of trauma, and um, and I think kind of what's about. I mean, a lot of this sort of you know studies or or this kind of happiness measurements and so on, they've rated Finland really high. But a Finnish person would never say I'm so happy because I think it comes from this sort of contentment in your life. On the, of you know, we have a very large middle middle class so we don't have very many people who are right on the top and you know it's not as hierarchical that way um and the, the sort of you know the state looks after people well people are obviously complaining always because you know nothing's perfect but so there is that so there is quite a wealthy um, society small society because there's only 5.5 million or 5.4 million So, you know, less than in London. And you can imagine when you've got so few people, it's a lot easier to manage. Um, schooling is good or, you know, like healthcare, all of that kind of stuff. And but it's, I think generally what used to be that the nature of people is that you have to be quite humble. Don't put yourself up too much. So, you know, all of the marketing that I've done in my private practice, I've had to do a lot of work, you know, in terms of showing up and putting yourself forward. And what does that mean? And because you're not really supposed to. Yeah, I think the nature, the, you know, being close to nature is really important. Thank you so much for um, illuminating us a little bit on Finnish culture, because, um, you know, it's it's not something that many of us probably know that much about. Mm. Um, so, yeah, thank you for sharing those insights with us. Um, it sounds like a wonderful place to grow up, actually. Um, but, yeah, like you said, so much smaller than than the UK, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I must not forget is that Santa lives in Lapland. Which is obviously part of Lapland. You know, Lapland covers four countries, but a big part of it is in Finland. So I have to do a bit of okay. advertising for them. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. So yeah, we're we're just now conjuring up exactly how yeah. cold and snowy that becomes at times. Okay, yeah. thank you. Yeah. And now you've got quite a unique niche, haven't you? Yeah. Um, that you're working in. And um, I first considered reaching out to you for the podcast because of a, a hilarious meme that I'd put together one day, thinking about how when we're dating as psychologists, um, you know, you start to think about um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And, you know, it was a bit of a tongue in cheek post, but it really did get me thinking about you and your work and how we go about choosing a good enough forward slash brilliant partner for ourselves. Yeah. Could you tell us a bit about your niche, Mari? Yeah. So I've talked about my trauma work. So actually, I have two businesses which I've separated. And why I've separated them is because I have those clients who very much come with the trauma history and they want to work on that, whether it's childhood emotional neglect, you know, mother wound is the key word for a lot of the clients that I work with in terms of therapy. But then I wanted to really start you know, doing something as a little bit more, you know, lighter, more fun. And what do I love? I mean, I, you know, I love talking about relationships. And even those, you know, over the years with therapy clients, many who were in that 
place or whether it was that they were recovering from uh, toxic relationships or they were wanting to meet someone or what have you. And I realized that actually, you know, there's the niche there in itself, dating, when you come out of that and uh, when you more focus on coaching. So when we think about how to go about finding someone who is compatible, but everything starts from within, like in anything else, it starts from within knowing oneself, knowing who you truly are, what you want in life, in relationships, and also knowing your history, of course, your attachment adaptation and understanding what it is that you need in a relationship and how to communicate that even when you are dating. So it's not as simple as, um, you know, like most people, I used to do this too, is that you, you, you know, you go out there and you start meeting people and then you hope for the best, fingers crossed. And most of the time, nothing kind of comes out of it. And depending on your relationship history in terms of your early relationships and what you learned about yourself and about relationships, and even your later relationships as an adult, you might be drawn to certain dynamics if you're not aware what the pull is. And even if you're aware, you might still end up in the in the place where you're replicating the same dynamic you had in your early relationships. So everything starts from you, but then it also you need to work through perhaps those things that are holding you back, whether in terms of confidence and going and meeting people, you need to work through um, also if if you you have those pulls towards certain type of people. So you need to kind of, the, the internal dialogue, you need to be aware of it and you need to nurture the parts of you that maybe didn't get nurtured in your earlier relationships or in your kind of childhood relationships. And so self-love is a massive piece of this work. And, and only when you're dating from a place of that you're filling your own cup and you are kind of, your focus is on you rather than with someone else, you know, um, completing you. Because often what happens is that many people, they meet someone. And I mean, this is what I learned as when I worked as, uh, you know, with couples or, or in helping individuals with their relationships. That's often there is that the hope and wish and kind of, you know, you're demanding the other to complete you you know that but in fact you are separate entities and you need to learn to really nurture yourself and only when you're sort of when you can look after your own needs first then you can go into a relationship with someone else then you can yes co-regulate each other but it's not dependent your happiness is not dependent on the other or how they are so it's when you are dating from a place of I'm I have I have enough then you're also likely to attract someone who thinks in the same way. I really so, agree. Hmm. And so many of the clients I work with who might be single uh, are almost looking for a partner to fix mm. themselves and then mm. to start their lives. And it's like, no, 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 no. No, we've really got to work on you enjoying your life, yeah. finding joy in your life, thinking that you are worthwhile and that you're a good person to, mm. to spend time with rather than thinking that somebody else is going to do that for you. Because then, and I think it's something that is really important as a parent as well, mm. raising children, that, you know, 
they need to feel like they are worthy, yeah. not just that they, you know, need to be grateful because, you know, so-and-so has paid them attention, yeah. um, you know, because it's, a, oh, it's such a minefield, isn't yeah. it? Absolutely. Yeah, as a parent, I think, you know, doing this trauma work and, and, and hearing so many stories of people when they really didn't get enough, you know, they are no perfect parents, but when they really didn't get enough, and then there's always the, the feeling like I'm not enough and I need someone to complete me. And and then so being as a parent, it feels that there's quite a lot of pressure in some ways. But, you know, at the same time, I've said to many clients who, who become parents, it's like self-compassion is your biggest tool as a parent because there are no perfect parents and we all make mistakes. But what's important that is that you're kind to yourself and you acknowledge your mistakes and you repair the relationship. And that way also your child learns about repairing the relationship in the future. Such important words, you know, and still now, even with my husband, I've been married 11 years mm. um, together, 14, and I've been a parent for 10 years. You know, I'm still always thinking, gosh, I didn't, I didn't do that mm. brilliantly. I'm going to need to repair this rupture because that's important to me and yeah. it, it paves the way. And I think in terms of my relationship with my husband, I also sometimes need to remind myself that he's not a mind reader. Mm-hmm. It's not acceptable to, you know, for him to, to imagine or hope that he will be one. And I can't really just be disappointed ethically if I haven't communicated my own needs. That's been one of my learning points yes. over the last 13, 14 years, I think. Yeah. I think many times girls especially have grown up not really expressing their needs and and then there's always been this this kind of this fantasy of the partner who knows exactly what I'm thinking and so many even male clients come and say my wife well you know says that I should know what she's thinking so well I've tried to I tried to study humans and I still can't I can't you know I don't know what anyone what's going on in anyone's mind we need to learn to express and uh, and for many people it is difficult but even going into dating situations is many times it's difficult to express oneself there and and communicate what is it that I want in the relationship instead of just hoping that hopefully the other person wants the same and and um, without these important conversations we don't know is it going in the right direction or is it not going in the right direction? And uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's so important. And for women, especially to communicate what we want and what we need, because it's not clear. And and I think men's men, men's thinking, the way they think is very much more straightforward in some ways. So if it's not on the radar, it's not on the radar. So that's why you know, it needs to be, and you know, many times men have said, and I think my husband as well, that you know, you need to be, you need to be clear. I don't know unless you're clear, then I can do whatever. But um, if it's not clear, it's really tricky to navigate. Really important stuff. And I know you've got a podcast as well that that talks through some of these issues. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So it's called How to Love Successfully. And it's focused on dating specifically. Well, dating and kind of well-being, you know, it's, it's not just about relationships. I mean, so when I started to focus on trauma, I came across a lot of somatic therapies and did some training and so on so all of this body-based stuff has really 
like spoke, you know, spoke to me. And I want to bring a little bit of that to the podcast too, because we are these physical beings. We, we, you know, I used to be certain just living in my head, completely disconnected from my body. And, uh, and I find that this is the case with a lot of people on the whole. Um, so really understanding not only our thoughts, but really what goes on in the body and kind of making the connections, whether you are dating in the relationships, just living your life, really, you need to know what's going on in your body, because of course, your emotions live in your body. So yeah, so I invite guests and we talk about um, relationships uh, from different angles, but I also do individual um or like solo episodes and talk about different dating dating kind of related topics and and so on where can people listen to the podcast if they'd like to take a listen so the easiest way perhaps is to find via my um website so it's drmariecovenancoaching.com forward slash podcast and then also i have a youtube channel which is called how to love successfully so you can find there too if you want to listen and watch on on youtube i'll give you all the links so you can put them in the show notes yes i will indeed so before we finish could you offer our listeners you know your top tip perhaps reducing burnout on the way to to a career as being a psychologist would be marvelous oh my goodness (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is a thing for all of us in different stages of our lives. And um, and yes, I do remember how it was then, you know, aspiring to be a psychologist. And, and maybe sometimes, you know, there was that sort of uh, questioning whether will it ever happen? And I guess it's, it's sometimes it's about honouring, well, a lot of times it's about honouring our feelings and not trying to deny that, but just mindfully observe and being with and and noticing that um and really having in life other things too so it, i can understand that they work and if you are you know as an assistant psychologist and whatever you're doing right now life is probably very busy and like you were mentioning earlier on that you know work in the nhs and all of that kind of stuff but really focusing on having fun things outside there is life beyond the the work life and life is you know I notice it myself now being middle-aged that that it goes so fast and if you just focus on career like I did for many years I feel so it's about kind of grabbing those small moments and trying to be in the moment but also you know acknowledging if you're having a difficult time and, and it's difficult to trust whether you'll get to this career that you want to do. There's always a way. There's always, I mean, I think that's what I've learned in life is that whatever, even if it's not the path that I initially thought, there's maybe a round trip that can help me to get where I need to go. So um, that's what I would say, really. I love that. I've not heard that before either. So it might (laughs) not be the path, but it might be like, you know, a, a looping road mm, that helps you mm, learn something mm. that's useful for your actual journey. 
Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's made my day. (laughs) (laughs) I will will use that with clients in the future. So, yeah, we've got your website and that will be in the show notes. And we've got your YouTube channel. That will be in the show notes. You're also on LinkedIn and on on Instagram. So I know we discussed beforehand that you're Dr. Mari Covenant on LinkedIn and you are Dr. Mari Covenant Coaching on Instagram. That's right. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time and helping us learn about so many important topics, you know, occupational psychology, a bit about counselling psychology, a bit about Finnish culture, of course, yourself um, and your very interesting niche um, as a dating coach. Oh, thank you so much. It's been such a fun conversation and it's it's been so lovely also to speak with you really now in person because I you know it's almost like you watch someone's videos for a long time and it's almost like you get to know them but you don't really know them and you haven't <laughs> exchanged um, you know or, or had had a conversation but it, yeah it's been really lovely to uh, connect with you today and and share something to your audience. Thank you so much it's been such a pleasure and please let me know if I can help with anything in future. Oh thank you so much it's been really lovely. Oh, what an absolute pleasure to speak to Dr. Mari Kovinen. Um, I hope you found our conversation nourishing and wholesome um, and that it's given you lots of interesting points to reflect upon. Please do come and let me know what you think to the episode, which you can do by coming along to the Aspiring Psychologist Community free Facebook group. My next live compassionate Q&A date is on Tuesday the 7th of November at 6pm and that will be running across all of my socials. So that's where you can catch the live one but don't forget those replay ones are available on my YouTube channel too. The easiest way to do that is to go to Dr Marianne Trent, click on the live tab And then you should be able to see them there. But you can also look at the playlist, which you can access by clicking any of the links in my social media bios. And of course, do consider the Aspiring Psychologist Collective book and the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. Thank you so much for being part of my world. Please do let me know what you think to this episode. And yeah, thank you so much for being part of my world. I will look forward to coming along with the next episode of the podcast from 6am on Monday. Take care, be kind to yourselves, and I'll see you very soon. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast with Dr. Marianne Trent. Beth and I'm a psychological well-being practitioner from Newcastle. I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to the contributors of the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I've enjoyed reading this so much and loved having an insight into the range of backgrounds and experiences people have prior to applying for the doctorate and it's been really interesting seeing the potential barriers to the application as well and how I can try and work around this. 
I really started to doubt myself and whether I was good enough to apply for the clinical psychology doctorate but this has really given me the confidence boost that I needed to give it a shot so the biggest thank you ever.